Hi there. Welcome. I'm Heidi Higgins, and you are listening to K-12 on Learning. The COVID-19 pandemic forced many American schools to hastily transition to online learning. The panic was challenging for schools and families alike. In the midst of this chaos, Dr. Ian Kingsbury of the Empire Center for Public Policy engaged in a research survey to learn how the experience of students enrolled in a traditional brick-and-mortar school that transitioned to online learning in the spring of 2020 compared to the experience of students who are already enrolled in virtual schools when the pandemic began. Dr. Ian Kingsbury is the Empire Center's Fellow for Education Policy. Dr. Kingsbury received his PhD from the University of Arkansas, where he studied education policy. Before joining the Empire Center, he was a postdoctoral fellow at the Johns Hopkins University. We are excited and honored to welcome Dr. Ian Kingsbury to the podcast today, where we're going to discuss the research results that he discovered. Welcome, Dr. Kingsbury. Thanks. Uh, I'm currently an education policy fellow with the Empire Center for Public Policy in Albany, New York. And we're a nonprofit think tank uh, that seeks to make New York a better place to live and work. I'm, I'm an education fellow, so my focus is on education. I'm dabbling a little bit in the virtual space because New York is very limited in the options that they provide in terms of virtual schooling, despite the fact that you have millions of students now learning virtually. Clearly, sensibilities are changing a little bit, and I think policy will change too. So there's really, I think, a, a desperate and urgent need to better understand virtual schooling right now. And, and part of that, and, and that gets into this project, is understanding that this very sudden transformation that schools undertook from their brick and mortar schooling to virtual schooling back in March is not the same thing as purposefully planned and well-executed virtual schooling. That brought me to this particular project. So just to motivate it a little bit more, there were some media depictions of virtual schooling as a wholesale bad experience. It's something that's bad for children to learn virtually. Uh, and you saw this in, in major newspapers, you know, virtual schooling is not the answer and other headlines kind of attacking it in concept rather than in, in practice of what schools were doing. Based on some of my experiences and, and things that I've read, I, I realized this was problematic because there are in fact students who can greatly benefit from learning online. And that includes a lot of students right now who didn't know that. Their schools switched to online learning and, and they realized they're learning better now. There was a terrific feature in the New York Times about a student in New York City who said that they learn better this way. Again, I think it was, it was really important to, to kind of quantify this reality that purposefully planned, well-done virtual schooling is not the same thing as like this very sudden transformation that schools had to undertake back in March. For this project, in order to sort of assess my hypothesis that these are not the same thing, in collaboration with K-12, sent out a survey to parents of students who were enrolled in schools powered by K-12. And it asks a bunch of different questions about their experiences uh, with virtual learning. And it also asks, when applicable, if they have if that student has a sibling enrolled in a brick and mortar school, for the parents to assess the virtual learning experience of that student through that brick and mortar school. So in other words, parents are getting the same questions about these siblings, one enrolled in a school powered by K-12 Inc., another in a brick and mortar school doing virtual learning. And so that way, it's a direct one-to-one -one comparison of the learning experiences 
of these students. Again, my hypothesis being that these are not the same thing. Can you articulate even more what that hypothesis was at the beginning? I think there's really good reason to think that a network like K-12 is delivering online learning better than the school that has to learn to do it on the fly in one week. They've been doing this for a long time, so there's institutional knowledge at play. They have the infrastructure for it, you know, whether that's maybe certain apps that have been developed or just other resources that educators can rely upon that are important for effective online instruction. Teachers have been doing this for a while and and they're trained in it. It's kind of like a professional athlete is better than someone who's picking up a baseball bat for the first time, right? That this experience really does matter. Can you tell us how the questions were asked and who, um, so it was the K-12 community. What were the questions and how were the questions asked? It was an online survey and it was totally anonymous, which is important because we want people's honest answers, obviously. And uh, that's easier to provide when it's an anonymous survey. Something like 100,000 surveys went out of around which 10,000 were answered, which is a really healthy number. makes it easy from a research perspective to have faith in the results that we're seeing. So there was about 20 questions altogether. We could organize those questions into separate bins or what we might call constructs. I picked four constructs that the research literature suggests are extremely important for effective online learning. The first one I would call active learning. So that's making sure that students are actually engaging with material in some meaningful way rather than just teachers giving them knowledge throughout the course of the day. So that could be something like instructors requiring students to participate in discussion forums or having students share their work with other students to receive feedback, those kinds of things. Uh, The second construct, I label communication, were teachers clear in their expectations? If parents tried to email or call them, were teachers responding? Was it easy to access course materials? These types of questions that assess the degree to which communication was frequent and clear. Another I would just call pedagogical efficacy, and this is, of course, the foundation for any good schooling experience. So this would simply be things like instructors motivated students to do their best or parents feel like their children learned a lot. And finally, classroom management, which is perhaps not immediately obvious to folks who are uninitiated to online learning, but classroom management, even in a virtual modality, really does matter. And in the most extreme example, we saw the media accounts of this, right, of folks entering virtual classrooms who weren't supposed to be there or even sharing lewd content or just otherwise students being disruptive in that format, feeling that teachers really couldn't enforce any sort of consequences on there. So this classroom management scale is is assessing things like there was a clear learning plan for each week or instructors were skilled at preventing disruptions within the virtual classroom. Very good. So that outlines the the questions that you asked and more than 10,000 respondents. That's a a great study that tells us an awful lot. What first prompted you to conduct this kind of study? It it was those media reactions that I referred to. And again, I think an inability to disentangle the experience of students in those schools that were rapidly transitioning to online learning to these purposefully planned schools. I think there's plenty of criticism to be had for the traditional public school system and the way all of this has been handled, absolutely. But 
the failure of many schools to provide high quality online learning should not be used as a weapon against the concept of online learning, which can be really great for a lot of students. So that was motivation. So uh, surveys were open for about uh, three or four weeks. So certainly plenty of time for, for parents to submit their responses. And this took place uh, back in the early fall. So this was not May 1st when schools first uh, first had to make that transition. This was after the summer students had had, or schools had had time to prepare for this. So uh, like those emergency triage situations that we saw back back in early April when schools were just trying to figure out what was actually going on. So this was after after the experience had been enjoyed or endured, depending on the circumstances for a period of time. Exactly. Very good. Exactly. Thank you. What did you most expect to see that was validated by your findings? The general hypothesis that students were getting a much better experience in those schools powered by K-12 Inc. than they were in brick and mortar schools. And uh, this finding was true across the board. Uh, And there's almost no particular construct or question. There's no particular construct or question in which the answers are even close in terms of the advantage that K-12 schools had. Parents were just saying this was a better experience. Uh, Students were actually doing active learning activities and students felt like they were learning a lot and classrooms were well managed and teachers were clear in their expectations and you could get in touch with teachers. It was across the board just a better experience for those students in those K-12 schools. Were there any questions that came out that had the larger responses that seemed to have a bigger response rate than others? I don't think there was huge variability in terms of response rate. There was a question that stood out a little bit in terms of the gulf in how participants responded. And that was the question of, I feel like my child learned a lot, where there was just this gigantic difference in terms of how participants responded. You had something like, off the top of my head, 20% of parents agreeing or strongly agreeing if their parents were in, or if their students were in a brick and mortar school. And then for K-12 parents, it was like the inverse where, you know, the amount who agreed or strongly agreed that their students were learning a lot was 80 something percent. So that is a gigantic difference. In the field of social science, we're usually you know, trying to disentangle these tiny little differences. And sometimes you apply this statistical control and it becomes significant or, you know, it, it can be very sensitive to sort of how it's operationalized or, or the way the data is teased. No, this is, this is a gigantic difference, about as big as it gets, the, a diametrical opposition. Parents in one setting felt like their students were learning a lot. Parents in another felt like their students were not learning a lot. And there's two potential explanations. One is that there is self-selection into the K-12 schools. So it makes sense that for those students who were better, for whatever reason, better suited for online learning, that they would learn more. And so that shouldn't be trivialized because it obviously plays into it. But the other part of it is that even though that particular question had the biggest gulf in terms of their responses, there were still gigantic differences elsewhere. And all of that amounts to, all of that sort of adds up in that one particular question of, I feel like my, I feel like my child learned a lot. You know, it's a reflection of communication from teachers, of, of their experience, of the infrastructure that 
the schools had in place um, of a clear attendance and grading system. Like these things are all scaled upwards towards this question of uh, ultimately, did students learn? must have been interesting to read your responses as they came in. And we have certainly been interested in reading some of those responses and seeing the collective um, information that was gathered. So based on what you've learned from this particular study, what are the top factors you feel that parents should look for when they're in terms of continued education for their children as the pandemic continues to surge? I think for parents who prefer virtual options or if they're limited to virtual options because their brick and mortar school is operating that way, these to me suggest that these purposefully planned virtual schools are just a better option. And again, that shouldn't, that shouldn't surprise anyone. These are people who have been at it for a long time. As for parents who, are, who prefer brick and mortar schooling, then the thing is parents generally have good instincts. And that's why, that's why policy that allows more school choice is better. Parents tend to have better instincts about their kids than government bureaucrats have understanding of student needs. So the more options that parents have to do what's best for their child, the better the education system is. That's actually an excellent quote. It is imperative that we have options. It was proven that at a time of crisis, we needed to have alternatives and options, and the schools needed help. It was interesting to see the the panic that ensued because we needed to suddenly have a way to deliver to the student no matter where they were. And that was a, an mm-hmm. interesting process to watch. I think that mm-hmm. the whole country has become aware of what virtual education can do. And it's, while it not, might not be for everyone, the fact that there's an option to choose is, is helpful. And now the option, I hope, will expand to more states. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and as I said, my focus is on New York, which is one of only a handful of states that really has no virtual schooling options. And I think at this point, it's just fair to say that that is an archaic stance. This is a good option for certain students. And, you know, that's probably a minority of students, but there's no reason that we shouldn't meet their needs. This should be an option to every student in every state. I appreciate that. We certainly agree with that. When the virtual schools outperformed brick and mortar schools, you said it was often by more than one standard deviation. Can you address that a little bit? So uh, without getting into this sort of statistical nitty gritty, that's to say that there is a, again, a profound difference in outcomes between these things. In social science research, we talk about a difference of statistical significance versus practical significance. And oftentimes, uh, research involves sort of trying to tease out that statistical significance, even when the practical significance is sort of limited. Uh, In a lot of things, we'll see a difference of four or five percentage points between two groups, and we're thinking, oh, wow, that's a pretty big difference. When you're seeing something like 20% of parents saying that their kids learned a lot versus 80% saying that their kids learned a lot, coming from And I have a a PhD in in education policy, which I should mention. So coming from that background as a social science researcher, it was actually novel to me to see that kind of magnitude of difference. It's just, it's not something that we see in our day-to-day research. You mentioned also that your thoughts were that with that magnitude of difference, that it is unlikely to disappear going forward because um, online schools will be accepted a little bit more to see for their value. Yeah, I, I think so. And for as much as 
some media outlets have improperly criticized the concept of virtual learning throughout this. The reality is that I think the trend is clearly heading in that direction of, of more normalization of it and more availability of it. There are now hundreds of thousands or millions of parents who say, hey, actually, this really works for us. And they're going to be demanding it as a full-time option. So regardless of what some newspaper might think about virtual learning, it, I'd say the trend is very much in its favor. Thank you. We're going to include your findings on our podcast notes today. So families can go in there and take a look for themselves. It's a very in-depth study, including charts and questions with details and the outcome of what you have learned. Very interesting for our families to discover and have something to look at that came from an outside source, but still pulled the families who are experiencing online learning and compared them with those students who are experiencing it from a traditional school. Did you have any surprises? with any of these findings? Well, I hypothesized that parents would have higher ratings for those K-12 schools. That magnitude that I mentioned did come as something of a surprise. I didn't necessarily have expectations about how that would ultimately shake out, but the magnitude is, again, just just not something that, that you typically see. So that qualifies as a surprise. The other one, which it was, I guess, surprising because it kind of runs counter to popular media narratives, is that African-American and Hispanic families actually had higher uh, or had better things to say about their online learning experience through brick and mortar schools than did white or Asian parents, which is interesting, again, because the narrative is always so much that this pandemic is exacerbating inequities, which is almost certainly true. But we that, I think, leads one to think that the experience is probably worse in certain school settings. And that particular finding kind of runs counter to that overall narrative. And again, it's somewhat challenging to make sense of overall. You know, one possibility is simply that obviously Black and Hispanic students are disproportionately located in urban environments and those schools can be challenged in terms of their culture, problems with disruptions or, or even fighting. And so maybe Maybe there's actually advantages to to moving online for certain students where they don't have to deal with those kinds of disruptions. Anyway, it's an interesting finding that that probably actually deserves a little bit more probing or scrutiny. So you're approaching research into all aspects of education. And as you mentioned, you are focusing a lot on some of the things happening in New York. What are some of the other studies that you've been looking at recently? This is the one that I'm doing, obviously, in the virtual space. I would invite anyone to uh, check out the Empire Center website where you can see my blog posts or reports that I've put on there. So if there's a theme to my research, I think it's that centrally planned education tends to not serve students especially well. And that choice to some extent is really a panacea. So this particular study that we're discussing today fits into that thread. But again, if others are interested in other research, I I would encourage and invite them to check out the Empire Center website. Very good. I just thought it was interesting that you have lots of articles. You've been published several times, papers. It's interesting that in this realm of research, it's changing all the time. So there's new things being introduced as the schools are opening up, as they're doing hybrid models, as they're working with, many are working, many of the brick and mortar schools are working with us and coming up with additional models that we're trying to blend. Mm -hmm. So very interesting. Is there anything else that you would like to add that you might think that our listeners might be interested to know from your great work? To me, that last thing is interesting about brick and mortar schools approaching you and, and 
asking about that because I, I recorded a separate podcast with Ed Choice a while ago about this study. And that was, that was one of my final takeaways was I hope brick and mortar schools are talking to K-12 and other players in the virtual ed space and asking what they're doing because there is clearly asymmetries in terms of their experience and, and their knowledge of how to do this well. Despite what some people think, I think the education marketplace is not exactly cutthroat. It's mostly folks interested in students doing well. And so I can only imagine that if those brick and mortar schools actually reached out to you and asked for help, that there is mutual interest in, in facilitating that kind of help. So I'm, I'm very pleased to hear that. You can say about that. I know I'm interested. Yes. Well, it has been very interesting to see how many. And the programs that they're trying to adopt have been, have been successful. I monitor several Facebook groups that families respond to, and they talk with one another about their experiences. It's been interesting to see that there are several who have enrolled students in a current district program with that is a K-12 curriculum that they're enjoying. They're saying, how come I didn't see some of this kind of stuff before? And that's that's been interesting. But, you know, maybe the overall interest of this experience is that parents are seeing the education of their children for the first time. And they're understanding mm-hmm. everything from the intricacies of it to my child isn't paying attention during the day. <laughs> you know, there's, there's little things like that that are the nuances of education itself are being revealed to the, to the families. Some don't take a lot of consideration after they send them on the bus. So. That's absolutely right. And I think it's a silver lining. It is sort of, sort of shining a spotlight, both in terms of interest in what students do on a day-to-day basis, which I think you're right before could be largely ignored. Now it's going on at home, but also just the way that our system operates and, and whether it even makes sense. There's opinion polls to, to back me up here that hopefully people are seeing that our uniform education system is is kind of crazy and that we should emulate the, the rest of the developed world in terms of having a, a more pluralistic system. It's It's time. One of the things I think is a great benefit of this pandemic is the opportunity to take a look and maybe reevaluate or at least see the need. And maybe it's been in the background before, but we see a clear need now to yeah. examine that education system that we're, that we're experiencing throughout the country. I think that's right. I am just grateful for the opportunity to visit with you. What a wonderful study you have done. It's been interesting because we're all about studies and surveys and asking parents and uh-huh. seeking feedback. And you found people that will respond who gave you some good input. So thank you. We want to get this out to, uh, to our families and, and let them know more about your work. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Take care now. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for listening to K-12 on Learning. To learn more about K-12's tuition-free public online schools, the Destinations Career Academies, or the international and private school options, go to k12.com. We invite you to subscribe so you can join us next time for K-12 on Learning.